welcome back, everyone, to Ghostbusters Minutes bonus episode. <laughs> bonus episode for the Patreon subscribers out there who support the show, and we appreciate you. So that's why we give you this uh, this extra extra sode. Is it an extra sode or a bonus sode? I, I like extra sode. Extra sode? Maybe just this one time. Okay. Well, this is an extra sode this weekend, and today we are going to be talking about the 2009 Atari video game just titled Ghostbusters, uh, which we have just today... Rewatched. I played the game back in 2009 when it came out. You have not played it before, correct? I haven't played it, and we were able to find it edited basically into movie form on YouTube uh, yeah. through cutscenes and through you know people actually playing the game right. to get the story across. And uh, that's, that's what I understand. This is like what Ghostbusters 3 would have been had it actually gotten made. So we're going to talk a little bit about the production of the game and then our feelings on it. But we want to tell you, uh, we're going to be going a deep dive into this one uh, in referencing something that maybe you're not familiar with. So before you go further with this episode, we're going to put a link in the show notes here today to where you can watch this on YouTube. We'll also provide that on our Facebook group. So if you have not seen the Ghostbusters video game, uh, I, I don't know if it's called like a movie edit. I think it's actually called like the guy who put it together calls it Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters 3, I think. He, yeah, I think I remember seeing that in the title. Uh, definitely want to give a spoiler warning up front, too. Yeah, so go ahead and check that out and come back and listen to us. It's Now, I'm going to tell you, it's nothing light. It's two and a half hours long. Yeah. And uh, it is all content there. It's, it's all storytelling. In fact, you and I were just going to watch the cutscenes, and then it turns out, no, a lot of the gameplay stuff actually had important yeah, dialogue in it as you well. You need to have that gameplay stuff in there. And it's not someone yeah. going and playing completely through. I right. Mean, it's just a few minutes uh, per stage. I, I'm not much of a gamer, so I'm not really going to know the, the right terminology. And never really dull, either. I don't think oh, there's... not at all. No. It held my attention the whole time. Two yeah. and a half hours. So, okay, so if you haven't seen it, go ahead and do that, but if you have played the game, or if you've seen what we're talking about, you watched it already, let's go ahead and get into it. So, um, let's talk a little bit about this game's production. Do you remember, uh, gosh, it might have been in 2007 or 2008, um, yeah, yeah, maybe it was 2007, all of a sudden, Ain't It Cool News ran this story that there was a Ghostbusters video game being produced, and video footage was up on YouTube. Do you remember this? Uh, b- vaguely, vaguely. So there was a company called Zootfly, and I believe they were out of Sweden or something like that, and they had taken the Gears of War video game engine and developed a Ghostbusters video game around it. Do you know what Gears of War is? Uh, No, tell us. So it's this franchise that uh, is built around the idea of, it's like another planet, and there's these guys who are like huge hulking dudes with guns with chainsaws on them, and they're shooting these guys that come up out of the ground. They're a race of subterranean people that come up out of the ground. But the cool thing about Gears of War is it's all built around um, uh, uh, taking cover and shooting above cover and taking your shots like that. If you step out and you're just in the open, people will kill you really quick. So it's it's kind of, I don't know, more more or less like... It, there's there's a survival aspect yeah, built survival into aspect. it. Yeah, survival aspect. Instead of just, oh, it's a video game, I'm just going to run, assuming I'm going to be shot and be okay. This is very, I guess, realistic? Uh, yeah, and, and strategic. You have to pick your spots. You have to run out at the right point. And, and because of that, it, it adds a layer of action to it that you're kind of like stressing out. Like, oh, when is my shot going to come up? Can I come out and shoot the guy at this point? So what happened is they took the Gears of War engine. Uh, one of the cool things about it is it's a third-person over-the-shoulder game. So if you're taking the screen and you're looking at it, your character's at the lower left-hand side of the screen, and then the rest of the screen is usually filled up with uh, with uh, the action that's going on. This Zootfly footage came out, and everybody started freaking out. There was the footage of the game itself, which featured a guy running around, an unnamed Ghostbuster, uh, with this kind of the footage, the Gears of War style, like busting ghosts in downtown New York. And that is the player. 
correct? Yeah. Okay. And then there was footage also of Peter Vankman, uh, a, a computer, a CG rendered uh, uh, Bill Murray, uh, doing the line of dialogue from Ghostbusters 2 where Vankman is on the stand and he's saying like, hey, who, you know, the shit's going to go down. Who are you going to call? You know, you remember that yeah, piece right. of dialogue? And they, mm-hmm. they synced it up just as like an example. And then there was some concept art which was great and it was a dodge magnum which is the first whenever dodge redid all of their uh muscle cars the the charger the challenger the magnum was the first one to come out and it was like a station wagon so it was a big white station wagon so it's basically like an updated new version of ecto-1 and it looked totally cool had this really cool modern grill on it and the ghostbusters there was actually one of them who had a, who had a gun based on vasquez's uh, smart rifle out of aliens. That's awesome. So they had these like big heavy dude. It looked like an action game based around <laughs> Ghostbusters. Turns out this is just a couple of bros in Sweden who were making their own game and had nothing to do with an actual Ghostbusters yeah, so game that was being developed at another nothing studio. Official. Were, were the, they? Well, uh, go, ahead, go ahead. So the crazy part is, is that this footage got taken down pretty soon after, and everybody got pissed off because they were like, "Oh my god, what's what's going on?" And it was a really muddled story because at the time, there the Ghostbusters game that you and I saw was being produced by a completely different company that didn't have any contact with these other guys at all, and all of a sudden they couldn't say anything about their game because everybody's getting excited about that this other sucks. game, and so they got Sony to go ahead and like you know pull everything down. So. Let's dial it back a little bit. That was my first exposure to the possibility of a modern Ghostbusters video game. When I saw that footage, being a fan of Gears of War, I thought, oh, this is going to be so cool. I think I recall seeing some similar like concept artwork. It might have just been fan-made or something like that, but the Vasquez uh, smart rifle and things like that. I yeah, no, I, I believe it was made by these guys, Zootfly, because what basically what they were doing is they were making a pitch reel of an idea that they yeah. had for their Ghostbusters video game. They were going to go out and produce it on their own dime and turn around and try to sell the idea to Columbia or Sony or whoever. I wonder if any of that's ever gotten further along. Uh, no, actually, well, th- this is the thing. Because they got the cease and desist order from the guys who were actually making the game over at Activision, uh, Vivendi Activision at the time, uh, and there's a whole thing I'll go back into in a minute here from the backstory of the production of this game because it sounded like a damn nightmare. Um, they basically were told, you can't make a Ghostbusters game because we already have somebody working on our own game. Funny enough, using a similar engine to the Gears of War engine, which they had modified for this. Uh, because of that, the guys at Zootfly were like, well, I guess we can't uh, you know, do this. So they took what they had, stripped the Ghostbusters aspects out of it, and made a video game called Time-O, and Time-O apparently never came out. It never made anything. Oh, so it's a real shame. These guys apparently, it looked really good, the footage that they had. I don't think it looked quite as good as the Ghostbusters game that we got, but uh, it was a very weird start for this whole you know, thing. I'm, I'm wondering how people would have taken to that as well. The g- general public as well as Ghostbusters fans, if that would have been received, you know, or if it was too far from stylistically too far from yeah, what we know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a very good point because what we're going to get into is that this game was very close to uh, what happened in Ghostbusters because it, it kind of is the third film because it was used as parts of a screenplay that, I mean, it was written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd. That's it's right. One of the first things you see in the so game. So tell us a little bit about the uh, connection okay, to so, the third Ghostbusters. Unless I'm no, no, that's right. So I'm going to take it back just a little bit further to 2006. Uh, there was a, a, a couple of guys had come up with a concept uh, uh, project. And this happens usually in video game publishers. They have guys who are just working on weird ideas. You know, they'll take like a Dungeons and Dragons set and they'll strip it down and they'll look at how the dice roll and everything. And they'll say, okay, how can we apply this to video games and take this further? Or they'll go back and take like just Uno or like Battle, you know, like a regular card game yeah. and build on top of that. So a couple of these guys got together and they were developing a physics engine and it, it was a, it was a, it was something called 13th Floor. 
and it was just a guy with a laser cannon that came out and started shooting it around, and it was causing damage to the building around him. And apparently one of the producers came in and took a look at this and immediately went like, this is a Ghostbusters game. This has got to be a Ghostbusters game. That's awesome. So originally this was under a company called Majesco. And around 2006, when Majesco was developing this, everything fell apart, and it went to a producer called Terminal Reality. So that's the producer that was working on the game, right? So they took this idea over to Vivendi, uh, which owned Activision at the time. Do you know who Activision is? I'm familiar with the name. So they're one of the big video game publishers. And Activision, uh, they worked on, they have Call of Duty as one of their games. It's actually called Activision Blizzard because they're a two-pronged company. And Blizzard, you might have heard of before. They're the guys oh, yeah, who I'm made familiar with Blizzard, yeah, yeah. Uh, World of Warcraft and, and Diablo and all that stuff. So big video game company getting a hold of producing this game. Uh, it seems like a match made in heaven, right? you got the money to back you up and everything. Well, they still had to pitch this to Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman. Get their blessing. Yeah, to get the blessing and, and to also get permission. Because at the time, this was still, and this isn't official, but uh, the, the word around the campfire, uh, campfire is that uh, Ghostbusters was, uh, the rights to it were held by Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and Ivan Reitman, right? So this is around the same time, too, that Dan Aykroyd's trying to get Ghostbusters 3 actually produced. I think he had a screenplay out there called Ghostbusters 3 Hellbent or something, or yeah, Hellbound. I'm, I'm aware of that, yeah. Yeah, so they brought it to him and were like, hey, here's this idea. Instead of doing Ghostbusters 3 as an actual movie because you can't get right on board, let's do it as a video game. Sounds like a perfect idea, right? Yeah. So apparently Aykroyd was pretty uh, keen on the idea of taking some unused scripts that he had. So he contacts Harold Ramis and says, hey, these guys want to make this game, but uh, what about you and I writing the story for it? And Harold Ramis is, is, is like, okay, well, it's going to be different because we have to write dialogue differently. The movie dialogue wouldn't really fit into a video game form, right? Because you have a player walking around, and depending on what that player is experiencing, the dialogue has to be subjective to what exactly he's doing. And you're, you're probably going to be stripping out any subplots that are not ghost, uh, excuse me, that are not ghost busting. Yeah, yeah, it's know? all just ghost busting. Yeah. Right? And there is little bits in there, especially things with the Alyssa Milano character, but mm-hmm. uh, not enough to overwhelm right. you know, the purpose of why you're playing the game. Yeah, so they had a lot of stumbling blocks along the way, but Harold Ramis and, B- and Dan Aykroyd decided that they were going to do it. They got Ernie Hudson on pretty easily. You know, he was game to come in and, and record stuff more as uh, more stuff as Winston said more. Bill Murray, however, is the lone holdout. So they're trying to decide if they're going to be able to develop a game without Bill Murray. Well, at this time, the producers of the game are kind of like, I don't know if we're going to give this the $20 million that we said we were going to give you to produce it, which is crazy. The video game costs it much money, but it employs yeah. hundreds of people to do all the graphic work and everything. So... Eventually, they had what they were called Plan B, and it's actually really brilliant. They couldn't get Bill Murray on the line to contact them about that, so they contact Brian Doyle Murray, his brother, and say, hey, you know, you've done voice work before. We have this mayor character. We're not going to get the mayor from the previous game. We have a new mayor in the game uh, who the whole idea is he has a connection to the Ghostbusters, right? Like the Ghostbusters endorsed this mayor because in the story of the game, the characters say that the mayor took out an insurance loan, so the Ghostbusters yeah. now they actually work for the city. So there's like their Ghostbusters are they they are their employees of the city at that point. So they're like, we need a new uh, you know known actor to do this. Let's get Brian Doyle Murray. And in doing so, of course, word gets back to Bill Murray that his brother's working on it. So the mayor has something like between fifty and a hundred lines in the game, and they actually fly Brian Doyle Murray out to the studio where they're producing the game to show them the concept artwork and everything. And halfway through Brian Doyle Murray goes, 
I only have like 50 lines. Do you do this for everybody? And they're like, oh, yes, every small actor mm-hmm. in this game has to mm-hmm. come here and see all this stuff. So, of course, he goes back and calls his brother and says, this is going to be crazy. They want me to do the mayor in the game. So two days later, they get a phone call from Bill Murray's lawyer saying, well, Mr. Murray would like to come in yeah. and be a part of the game. If so, that's how things actually worked out, that's pretty clever. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they called Plan B, or that's what the, the producers of the game said. So mm-hmm. uh, you remember we were talking a couple weeks ago about the original Ghostbusters game. You remember for, uh, for Atari? Way we're talking when, yeah. about that was actually developed by a guy named David Crane, and David Crane is famous for making Pitfall. Do you remember Pitfall? Oh yeah, Man, yeah. Pitfall's great. He's one of the big, great video game producers of all time. He also did A Boy in His Blob. If you've ever heard of that, can we go off topic here for a minute? Absolutely. Okay, Chris Pratt. Yeah. is a movie star. Yeah. I mean, that dude... I know where you're it? going. I know where uh-huh. you're going. <laughs> uh-huh. And everybody's like, oh, give him Indiana Jones and whatever. Uh-huh. No, don't waste something like that. It may very well work out. Who knows? Um, but I don't think you should waste your time giving him something that's already established. That guy needs his own franchise, his own character, Pitfall Harry. Pitfall Harry. It's been sitting there waiting for the right opportunity for decades. Here it is. Imagine that. Chris Pratt with a with a young ingenue with him jumping over the heads of alligators to get the diamond or the scorpion. I don't know what you were doing in that game, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's yeah, clo- yeah right. It's close enough to <laughs> Indiana Jones. So yeah. Everybody's still going to get their Chris Pratt, Indiana Jones type thing. It, oh my God, it's right there. Oh yeah. man, the, the Super Nintendo version of that, so great. Here's what we're going to do after this is done. We're going to get David Crane on the phone and we're going to say, Mr. Crane, how much is it going to cost to get the rights to Pitfall for us to write a screenplay? And then yeah. we're going to get that video camera we have over in the back room and we're going to get Chris Pratt on that <laughs> yeah. horn and we're going to go make this Pitfall movie. It's like, man, we can shoot this on Look, you know, it, high it, eight, let's do this. It could be at least a half as good as Romancing the Stone, right? At least half. Or like Alan Quartermain and King Solomon's Mines yeah. level at least, so... Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. I would love yeah. to see a Pitfall movie. Uh, so Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters. Let's get back to <laughs> Ghostbusters. So Bill Murray signs on. The cast come in to start recording dialogue for everything, and immediately Bill Murray has to check out for some personal reasons. So they're like, okay, well, let's go ahead and get the rest of it. They never contacted Sigourney Weaver, uh, uh, which uh, there was some back and forth rumors about if Sigourney Weaver had turned it down. Rick Moranis apparently declined to be involved. Uh, Annie Potts came back for it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and actually, they, they cast um, Max von Sadow did a voice in the game. Really? He played Vigo Carpathian. No kidding. Because we all, as we all know, the guy that did Vigo's voice is dead. Right? That's right. Yeah. So yeah. They, they got Max von Sydow to come in and record lines. You're wrong. I am wrong. What? Yes. Oh, Max so the guy—he did Vigo's voice in Ghostbusters too. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so crazy Sorry, enough that no, that's fine. Just keep going. I like being wrong sometimes. Yeah. So <laughs> he comes in and he does the voice for him. So it's a star cast, right? Bill Murray comes back, and as you heard in this, it's variance of quality in what he does. Some of the lines sound completely inspired, like he's riffing off the cuff. Uh, apparently, he leaves halfway through the production doesn't come back and doesn't finish half of it. But they got enough. They got enough and they were able to write around it, which is really cool. And I was surprised knowing going into this that he only recorded half of his lines, how much they were able to get out of it. Yeah, I wouldn't have known. I never would have known. I didn't know either until I read this uh, article, which I'm reading from, by the way, which was on playboy.com. And I think I'm going to link to this in Facebook. I think I can link to a Playboy article. If not, we're going to link to it here in the show notes. But there's there's nothing uh, salacious on this article. It's just a a really well-written, as Playboy's articles always have been, really well-written article about... uh, the production of this video game. It's a fascinating story. But uh, so anyway, they're able to write around the absence. Uh, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd come in for no extra charge and are able to wrap everything up with a nice bow on it. So that gets us to the point now, 2016, seven years after this game comes out, you're watching it. Give me your initial thoughts on what you saw. Okay, so 
you know, Harold Ramis is gone. If right. anybody ever wanted Ghostbusters 3, they got it. Yeah. They got it. I think the story here is solid. I think it's um, a completely legitimate Ghostbusters. I think it falls into the Ghostbusters canon and franchise just as well as, let's say, excuse me, excuse me, better than Ghostbusters 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, uh, you know, but I'm going to say that this movie fits in with what would have been 1, 2, and 3 perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Perfectly. I was expecting something with a lack of story, which would be made up for in gameplay. Not at all. Mm-hmm. You got a story there. You got more than, than a story. And uh, I, I'm not much of a gamer, so I've always, if I have to watch my friends sit around and play video games. I'm always enjoying the cutscenes more. Yeah. And um this this entertained me through the cutscenes and through the playback. It yeah. was uh and of course it's cut down to be like a movie and I'm not watching the video game being played out, but if this was um just as entertaining as a, a Ghostbusters 3 film would have been. And granted, I would have loved to have seen you know the Dana Barrett character come back, Louis Tolley, all that stuff because I'm a nostalgic. But even without that, it still works. So do you think that Imagine Sigourney Weaver had been contacted and agreed to do this game and was the character... Now, I forget Alyssa Milano's character's name. I think it was Alyssa. Was it Alyssa? Yeah, you're right. It was Alyssa. Do you think that having her as Alyssa would have wrapped up uh, Dana Barrett's importance in this overall story like, completely? Not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. Uh, and I think that's um, a testament to the game, is that it didn't need that. Now, mm-hmm. granted, again... I'm a nostalgic, and I like seeing my my old friends, if you will, come back. But I don't think that this game suffered from it, and that is a testament to the game and how much it works. Well, there's the reason I ask that question is in the third act, it's revealed that the Alyssa character, who is the uh, warden or the person who's looking after the Gozer exhibit that the Evo Shandor Foundation mm-hmm. had given to the New York Museum, turns out to be. Uh, a spitting image of a painting that they see of an Evo Shand- uh, one of Evo Shandor's like grandmothers or something like that, yeah. meaning that she is related to Shandor. And I'm thinking that if Dana Barrett was that character, it would have made sense that she was the reason that she's contacted through by spirits throughout all the games. Yeah, so, I didn't so I mean, that. I, that's just something that came to me yes. while I was watching. Well, you know, come to think of that, yeah, absolutely. But it, it doesn't make it any worse that she's not the character. Not like, all. Alyssa works just fine as, as the character. Um, so, yeah, well... Um, so I really like how this – so third parts of trilogies, uh, the thing they need to do is tie in the first movie and the second movie and give all the characters kind of an arc for it. This one doesn't really maybe give the character – I think Ray has a little bit of a story going here where he gets possessed at one point and he kind of realizes that. That's right. He realizes later on that him choosing Stay Puft as the form of the Traveler locked Gozer into all only being as the Traveler when she came over or he, whatever Gozer is, came over to our dimension. Um, Ray does have a little bit of an arc in it. Uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Egon has a lot of funny dialogue. Winston has a lot of dialogue. Yeah, and they really grow the Winston character in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole backstory that we hear about uh, him having a doctorate. Yeah. So they, they are throwing in a bunch of stuff for Winston that... Wasn't there originally. Yeah. And I like how he was always, he was checking uh, like football game scores. Uh, and whenever they were at uh, he, at the library, he was downstairs on the microfiche trying to find like football yeah. scores. And then later he talks about how upset he is that the Jets lost. You know, previously Winston kind of was treated as the uh, the audience's perspective. They right. would be giving all this jargon and he would be like, okay, so what you're saying is this and help spell things out for you and me, the viewer. And uh, he was the guy at some points in this who was being the info dump yeah and then mm-hmm. it would take some you know 
it, it wouldn't even take someone else saying, okay, so what you're saying. This movie treated the, the viewer uh, with respect. Yeah, and the, the, I guess the viewer, when you're playing this game, you played a character called the Rookie. So Correct. that's, let's, I guess, let's take it back to the beginning and kind of talk about the story a little bit. So the story is the character, the, the player is playing a new member of the Ghostbusters called the Rookie. And this guy's kind of a screw-up a little bit. In some of the cutscenes, I don't know if you saw, but he's always, like, knocking stuff over in the background. At one yeah, point, he knocks a tree that. over and it blocks him into yeah. a graveyard. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of a little bit of a comedic foil. And then it does this great thing I was talking about here a second ago with, with, um, with third parts of trilogies, is it ties everything together. So they have to take him back through... A lot of the stuff you saw in the movies. The first thing they do is go to the Sedgwick Hotel to track down a yeah, ghost. and that is a great way of catching up, you and me, the viewer, yeah. for stuff that we might not remember. And it also is so cool because they really did a good job in recreating some of these uh, sets in the game. Like, yeah. the library was amazing, the way that they recreated the, you know... Uh, the the very first shot we see in Ghostbusters where Alice the Librarian's pushing the bookcase down the library uh, right. corridor. They did a great job recreating yeah. that. So, speaking of... The rookie, mm-hmm. the new character. I'm I'm there to see the Ghostbusters as we know them. Yeah, you know Egon, Ray, Peter, Winston. I'm not there to see some new rookie character, mm-hmm. and they kept him in the background just enough that I basically forgot about him. Yeah, and was able to see these guys while still having him be an important uh, factor in in the whole thing in the story. Right. So you were mentioning architecture. Yeah. My God. Yeah. The environments in this thing are unlike anything I've ever seen. And it makes sense because Evo Shandor, we're kind of in his world, if you will, was an architect. Yeah. And uh, the designs just across the board were top notch. Oh, they're fantastic. And this game came out in 2009. So that was towards the end of the life cycle for that console cycle. This is, uh, I played it on Xbox 360. And this was a few years before the Xbox One came out. So at this point, the. Guys who were making these games, the, the men and women who were making these games, had their hands on the tools for a long time so they could make great-looking sets. At this point, they're all familiar with how this stuff works. And the architecture, the, the game world building that happened in this, the, you know, the, the out, there's a part where they're chasing Stay Puft through the streets, and the Ecto-1 is along beside them. And I think they, they even mentioned the Ecto-1 has like a trap on top of it, which takes it back to that David yeah, Crane right. video game where the Ecto-1 has a vacuum cleaner on top of it that sucks ghosts down. And you can actually wrangle them and, and, and toss them into the trap. They created the the outdoor sets of like New York like so well. Yeah, it it I mean, felt so much detail. It yeah. felt like a, a disaster movie where Stay Puft was tearing everything apart and they were chasing him down. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then they also create recreated the sets of the New York Public Library, which is really cool. And then uh, Shandor Island, which is one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Oh remember yeah, remember that definitely. part? Oh yeah, which is really cool because they also introduced Ecto Eight, which yeah, was the that's boat. Right. That was yeah, really cool. <laughs> which I really like too. So. Um, uh, but yeah, so this was a very fun game to play. When it came out, the reviews were kind of mi- fair to middling, and I think that a lot of people cut this game short. I don't know that a lot of people finished it. The The actual gameplay to it takes part in the ghost busting, which is almost like a fishing game. Where I was going to say that. I've never really considered the proton pack until you see it being used and it feels like yeah you're re- you're wrestling a fish when you're yeah. fishing or something yeah I, I don't think the player can die although they do a better job in this game of showing why ghosts are dangerous than i think they did in any of the movies all the ghosts here are possessors right so they can take over different objects and toss objects at you like a poltergeist or they can you know form a giant golem out of books or something like that so the ghosts are actually presented as dangerous but i don't think they can kill you in the game they can just knock you over and frustrate you and you have to get back up and try again um, but the gameplay aspect of this goes between the, the ghost wrangling, which is kind of like a fishing game, uh, to almost like hide and go seek 
uh, or, or uh, scavenger hunt type games where you would see sometimes the the rookie would pull down the goggles and it would go to goggle view and the PKE meter would be in front of him. That's right. Yeah. That? So he'd walk around and look for different slime signatures and uh, would kind of follow it to figure out where the ghost is. So there's a little bit of that. And then you it, some of those scenes were actually kind of scary. I think there was they, they cut one of the scariest parts out of this game, which we, you and I were talking about earlier. You didn't get to see it. When they're in the New York Public Library, they actually have to go through the children's library, and it's haunted by the ghosts of yeah. invisible children. Creepy. And they, like, uh, one of them grabs a teddy bear, and the teddy bear is kind of floating along mm-hmm. as if a child's dragging it by its hand. They're leading him to the gray lady. So, um, what did you think about the additions to the story that they made? The, when they go to Shandor Island, did you remember the slore was there? Did you catch what was going on yeah, with that? Yeah, I did. And it's, it's all kind of happening. Uh, uh, pretty fast, you mm-hmm. know, because you're watching gameplay as well as trying to follow the story. So it can kind of go over your head yeah. a little bit. But, did you uh, catch all the stuff about the black slime? Yes, I did. And I thought it was interesting that they keep the slime element yeah. prevalent, which is in the first and second movie. So right. slime is always part of Ghostbusters lore, and I'm glad that they kept that in there. And it wasn't, you know, green, wasn't pink. Yeah, it's something new, and you know, black is, uh, I guess, it's a threatening color. So, well, that's how they tied all the slime from the second movie back in. Was it was created by the the Gozer cult of Gozer and the you know the Shandor family, but they had the slore uh, on Shandor Island chained up, and they were bleeding it and using its blood, the slime that comes off of that, to, as a conduit to try to get Gozer into our dimension. So, yeah, I thought it was a great way to tie the movies back in and give even further story to all this stuff. So Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis did a fantastic job writing this, and it really kind of you know kind of makes me think that they should probably take more screenwriters out there and get them to work on video game screenplays I agree. because uh, story is the one thing I think that you know. Video games are a visceral experience that require you to throw yourself into them. And sometimes story is not the most important part of that so much as fun game design is. Yeah. But this is one that did not sacrifice story. And even though the characters are, are jabbering at you a lot, there's so much dialogue in this game. Mm-hmm. It's easy to miss because, you know, you're kind of like watching out for, you know, a giant book monster coming at you. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, at all the while that while that's happening, there's all these different story beats that are going on. So, um if you were to, would you recommend this as something for Ghostbusters fans to watch if they hadn't seen it before? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you think it's worth the two and a half hour time investment? I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find the time, you know, to devote to getting a, another chapter, not a crucial chapter into the story, but something that Ghostbusters fans are really going to enjoy, then, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's got all the hallmarks of Ghostbusters. It's got the humor. It's, it's a very funny game, but you kind of have to listen to a lot of dialogue to pick out the funny stuff. Uh, I think it's got the, the uh, action and horror aspects and definitely. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Uh, I would agree the same. If you, if, if you're out there and you just need a Ghostbusters fix and you haven't seen this thing before, go ahead and grab like two or three bags of popcorn. Cause this thing is very long. I, I will tell you that it's very dense, very long. Uh, it does tie both Ghostbusters one and two together and uh, kind of deepens those stories. Yeah, honestly, very much builds on each of the characters equally. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I give it a recommend. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Had a great time watching it. Now all I got to do is go sit down and play it. I don't think it has multiplayer on it, which is actually pretty sad because, it, wait, wait, no. Maybe, it, yeah, it did have multiplayer on it. It totally did. I remember playing multiplayer Ghostbusters games. I cannot remember if they were any good, though. <laughs> so, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, have a great weekend. And remember, check out the Ghostbusters 2009 video game if you haven't seen it before. It's a great experience. So, all right, guys, well, I'm Kyle. I'm ready. And we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back.